0: We are in our second week of a worship series called Crash Course. where over the course of about five weeks with an off week next week because Mike Nesbitt is preaching here. uh, We are talking about what the Bible is. Uh, If you are available on Wednesday nights, I would love for you to join us in Chapel Hall as we read the book with the question as the title... What is the Bible? Um, I would love for you to join us, the Rob Bell book, or if you'd like to read along at home, I have a couple extra books here in the front if you'd like to take one with you um, and read along with us. But part of the reason that I I wanted to uh, both teach and preach on the Bible was because it's 66 books all in one place. And if you're anything like me, that's kind of intimidating. Because within those books are chapters, and within those chapters are verses. And within those verses are stories, some told once, some told multiple times. And I think for so long and for so many of us, we were taught more about the Bible as a game of trivial pursuit, where if we didn't know everything there was to know, we couldn't understand it I think the Bible is more than that. I think it's approachable. I think it's a beautiful telling of the love of God. But if you're looking at it as you only really know the stories of Jesus, and even some of those are kind of shaky, you might have a fear of the Bible. Without knowing all there is to know about it, maybe you don't feel worthy to open it, And I don't believe that that's what is intended through scripture. When I was in college, I worked for passport camps And at the end of the summer, we had a retreat where all of the staff, all of the interns that had been throughout the country came uh, to a retreat center in Birmingham, North Carolina and shared in a time of worship and reflection together. And I remember it was there that I first had the image told to me of a red through line or a red stitch that went from the beginning of Scripture to the end of it. And I think that has stuck with me so long, honestly. And I don't know if it was intended at that time. But if you've ever had a Bible that has red letters in it, we know the red letters meant those were the words of Jesus. They're supposed to stick out to us. And so I don't know if it's the color that has made this, you know, stick with me for so long. But from Jesus as Christians, we can trace a stitch going forward through the epistles, but also, as Christians, we can find a red stitch of grace that goes back through the stories of the Old Testament as well. It's really easy To think Old Testament God in this corner, New Testament God in this corner, when in fact it's the same God. That doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with it, but it's that red stitch of the words of Christ that go backward and forward. Or if we could put it even more simply, I love reality TV. I didn't before the pandemic started. Honestly, I kind of started watching it as a release when the pandemic started. Um, And now I, I, my parents are like in shame right now, but um, I think it's really great to be able to turn off our emotions and watch the emotions of someone else for a minute. But in our household, as soon as we start a new TV show, what do I do? I, I get on Instagram and figure out who's still together three months later, right? Oh, I know. I, is that you, Pat? You know who you are. Yeah, yeah. I still try to figure out what the ending is, or if we're watching a season of, I don't know, pick whatever TV show you and your household watch, I wonder if there's any elbowing going on in the room. I love to know what happens at the end. Now, I enjoy every piece between the beginning and the end, even if I know what's happening at the end. My husband hates it. (laughs) He does not want to know spoilers. He does not want to know anything about it. I can't mention anything at all. If he finds out what the end is, He'll quit watching. Here's the thing. As Christians, we know what the end is to the story. God sent God's Son. But when we read the stories, especially the early stories of the Bible that we're going to talk about today— They were living in a world where they did not fully understand the love of God by way of Jesus Christ. They lived in a world not knowing any spoilers, but living in the moment that was life and death, that was need for survival from minute to minute. But we know the end of the story. So very briefly today, we are going to talk about the Torah. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to divide the Bible into sections and talk about where we find God in those specific sections. Today is the Torah. Now, you may have heard that word before, especially in relation to our friends who are Jewish. They have a Torah. But did you know we also have the Torah as part of our Bible, or what we call A canon, a collection of books. The Torah is the first five books in the Bible. And the word Torah literally means law, or we could say teaching. Those early books that taught us how to be a people, that taught us how to relate to God. Now, just because we have these stories does not mean they tell us everything we need to know. Fair point. (laughs) We have five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but they don't tell us everything we need to know. And and here is is a perfect example of of maybe how we can understand them. So I went into our church library um, and I pulled this out. Does anyone recognize what this is? Joy smiled. <laughs> these are church business meeting minutes from January 4th, 1967 to September 29th, I think that says 1971. These detail the business sessions that Ridgewood had back in the 60s and early 70s. Some of you were here for these, some of you are like, dust, dust it off. But, um, and I love it. It's, I mean, they're handwritten. Uh, at some point, it goes to a typewriter, (laughs) but, uh, beautiful handwriting. I love, the meeting was adjourned by singing, blessed be the tie that binds. All the, we've, we've sung that here not too long ago. Um, These detail a lot about what happened at Ridgewood Baptist Church in her early, early days. But I would venture to guess there was a lot more that happened than could be contained in church business meeting minutes. (laughs) I am positive there were phone calls or more meetings than what we have detailed here. I imagine there were Rooms that were being painted and prepared for, for children or, or what have you that may not be detailed here. What we have the details of and what we don't have the details of still make us into the church that is Ridgewood Baptist Church 2022, including all of you that are in here. I'll leave this on the altar if you'd like to come and look at it afterwards. This is what we call oral tradition. It took a long time for our scriptures to be written down. It probably took a long time for Ridgewood to come to a place where we're actually producing business meeting minutes. Similarly, it took a long time for our scriptures to be written down. We call it an oral tradition. Think about uh, when you were young, if you had a grandparent who would sit you on their knee and tell you about when they were a kid. There's nowhere that that story might be written down. But oral tradition means that the early stories of our faith were passed down by word of mouth, not by book. And something I think is is fun to think about, if we were to start a telephone game, I really thought about doing this right when I started the children's moment and see where it would get to. If I started with Tracy and I said something to Tracy and we went telephone all the way through the sanctuary and came back over to Chris Sanders, I guarantee, well, maybe you all are all very good listeners, but I guarantee if there was music and dog barking and anything going on, we might have missed a word or two. And remember, as we wrote down our scriptures, we were in a world without Siri. What I want you to remember about what we call the Torah, we'll call it the Pentateuch in just a moment, is that more than anything, it's a story. It's a story of of how God made the world and made people as the people at that time understood themselves and God. We also call these five books the Pentateuch, if you, if you notice that uh, Penta, like Pentagon, has five sides, this is the Torah, the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and each book had a specific task to um, allow these people to develop. So first is the book of Genesis. That book, if you read it through the lens of the productivity of God and people, read Genesis through the lens of productivity. Exodus, the lens of liberation. Remember, this is where the slaves were liberated out of Egypt. The next one, Leviticus, was how to worship. If you think that Leviticus is the most boring book in the Bible, you might be right, but I read it as God cares about the detail this is where we learned all about the temple what has to be set up here and there and the curtains and the steps Um, if you don't think God's a perfectionist read Leviticus And then Numbers and Deuteronomy. Numbers talked to to these people about how to enter the land. So remember, they were taken out of Egypt. Um, They lost the land because they were not faithful to the covenant. And then God tells them how to enter the land. And then Deuteronomy, how to hold the land. So this whole five books takes us from the very point where God created to the very point where they are settled into a land. Think about all of that development as a people. That last book, Deuteronomy, is what Pat read from today. Literally, the word Deuteronomy is Hebrew for words. <laughs> and it's intended for teaching. This is where uh, we, have, we pull the um, love God and love people. That repetitive phrase that these people used. Remember, though, this is a story. Remember, it's a story about who you are and whose you are. But it's a story to remind us, to take us back, to say, remember when Remember when you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when you didn't know how to worship God. Remember when you didn't have one God, but you had multiple gods. Because remember, Scripture is a holy text. But we also treat it as a historical text that we believe tells us a lot about what was going on in the culture and the place and the time. So remember when. When we're talking about the early development of scripture, we're actually talking about a place. We're talking about a people who are in Mesopotamia. Um, thankfully, you don't have to write that on your return address. Mesopotamia. Um, and if you really break that down, it's two words that means between two rivers. Uh, anyone know what rivers those were? Jill? Tigris and, Tigris and Euphrates. If you didn't know it, my mom also taught ancient Egypt. So this is. Um, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the Middle East, um, where we now typically think of where Syria and Iraq were, uh, are currently. That's where these scriptures were being formed and passed down as oral tradition. To give you a little bit of context, um, in 14,000 BCE, remember we're in 2022 AD in the year of our Lord. So let's go back 16,000 years. We believe that's when the first houses may have appeared, individual dwellings for people. In 9,000 BCE, we believe that's when cultures were allowed to were, were uh, had become agrarian, meaning they had domesticated animals and they had planted. Instead of going out and hunting and gathering, they actually created um, a stable civilization. And then another 6,000 years, it took before cities were actually formed. So that's 3200 BCE. In 2200, there is this guy named Sargon. And you might notice if you read the story of Sargon, he has very similar uh, threads to who we know as Moses in his history. But in 1800, for the first time, there was someone in charge named Hammurabi, mom, is that? That's right, right? Okay, Um, and he decided that he wanted a moral code of laws that everyone would follow throughout the kingdom. There was a code of laws and consistent justice. Now, having seen all these dates, the very first library was in 600 BCE. So, those stories that we identify as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were passed down somewhere between 14,000 BCE. In approximately 600 years before the birth of Christ. But they were up against something else. Not just human error or lost scrolls or flooding or drought or fire that could have destroyed manuscripts. But in Mesopotamia, There was not a god that they worshipped. There were three, and this we can also put against the Greek and Roman gods where there were more, and you can actually um, pull out even more gods from this area, but there were multiple gods. They were, I'm going to just say these and pretend like I know how to say them, Yah, Anu, and Enlil. Er, That sounds great, right? Yeah. And they were all in charge of different things. Ea was in charge of wisdom and magic. Anu was the sky god. And Enlil was earth, storms, and agriculture. There is this story that Ea made humans from clay, that Enlil created a flood to destroy humanity because he was mad at humanity. And then Ea, again, had humans build an ark... And their lives were spared. Wait a second. Doesn't that sound familiar? There's also this story that they call uh, the garden. There's also a story of a great flood. And there's also this story that's very similar to our Tower of Babel story. But the main difference was this. Yah, Anu, and Enlil had statues and monuments built to them. Gold and silver, places in front for sacrifices and burnt offerings. Irispar, Spar, who is of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, who studies uh, these specific Statues in Art, says this about the deities of old. Possessing powers greater than that of humans, many gods were associated with phenomena such as the sun, moon, and stars. Some with forces of nature as winds and fresh ocean and waters, others still with real animals, and some imagined creatures such as fire-spitting dragons. As supreme figures, the gods were transcendent and awesome, but unlike most modern conceptions of the divine, they were distant. Feared and admired rather than loved, the great gods were revered and praised as masters. They could display kindness, but were also fickle at times, and explained, as explained in mythology, they were poor decision makers, which explains why humans suffer such hardships in life. Humankind was created to ease their burdens and provide them with daily care and food. Humans... Thus served the gods. Imagine a God who is fickle and distant, who might bring you rain, but might decide after you sacrificed all of your animals. Nah. But imagine learning about a new God who acts solely out of love for you. Who, through instructions about how to care for one another, how to care for the land, how to build a temple, because that God was going to be with you, not distant. Imagine that you learned about a God who was consistently good and giving. Remember your story. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. There's a song we sang earlier, and Stuart fits so perfectly This phrase over and over, you are good, good. I think sometimes we still struggle to believe that God is good. That maybe we've tripped up. Maybe God is fickle and distant, but I don't think that's true. I think that God is good, and God is still here with us by way of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I believe that we can trace that thread of grace all the way back through the Old Testament to a people that believed that they had to worship on the altar of silver and gold, and maybe they were supposed to serve the gods, but actually... God is good. God is close. God is love. And we know at the end of the story. For the people for thousands of years that didn't believe that, God showed us who God was in the flesh. By way of Christ. So remember that thread. The Bible is not a scary book. The Bible tells us about the makings of a people. It tells us about our first understandings of the divine as good and intentional and with us. That thread of grace that goes forward by the way the gospel and the letters of Paul to the church also goes back through the Old Testament. Amen.